Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being with me here today. It is Monday, July the 6th. Hope everyone had a lovely weekend. It felt to me like the first weekend in forever where I was able to actually enjoy some outside time, a little bit of sunshine here. Even got a bit of a sunburn yesterday. Not that I would consider that a good thing, but it's a sign that things are starting to brighten up out there. At least I hope that this is the start of a trend. I mean, there is a possibility of some rain activity here today on Monday, but usually Monday seems to be the nice day and the weekends are nice and rainy, so I'm okay with the opposite effect here today. All right, on today's show, well, I'm going to be joined by my usual Monday guest here, Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. We have a few things to discuss today, including RCMP starting to step up enforcement as it relates to driving under the influence. And we'll also be talking about the horrifying video out of Seattle where a man mowed through a group of police brutality protesters and has since resulted in the death of a 24-year-old woman. And we'll also talk a little bit about hydroplaning after a Kelowna man rolled his McLaren on Canada Day last week on the Coquihalla near Merritt. Of course, he says that's what uh, happened. Hydroplaning resulted in that crash. How easy is that to prove? We'll get into all of that in just a little bit. But to begin today's show, well... As we go through this COVID-19 pandemic, of course, that's what takes most of the news away. But it's important to remember that here in B.C., we are still going through another public health emergency, and that is the overdose crisis. Well, today, Addiction Matters Kamloops is beginning to encourage people to take the pledge to end a harm caused by stigmatizing language when it comes to talking about those who have addictions issues. To empower people to take action both here in Kamloops but also in any community here, AMK has launched a new website at addictionmatters.ca where people can sign up to take this pledge. To talk a little bit more about the campaign and why this is something that AMK wanted to launch at this time, I am joined by committee member Nicole Obrigovich, Nicole, how are you doing here today? I'm good, thanks. Now, Nicole, I guess I'll just start with this. Before we get into the actual campaign itself, I just wanted to ask about the timing of this. Why is now the time to try and raise more awareness about this language that people are using and how it can impact those with addiction issues? Well, I think it's, it's something that we have been talking at Addiction Matters Camlips about for quite some time, but it just is especially important right now because of the overdose crisis that is um, prevalent in our society and obviously has been increasing because of COVID as well. And, and can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the language here? This is kind of what the idea behind this campaign is, if I understand it correctly, is, is talking about the stigmatization language. Yeah. I mean, how critical is the way that people talk and the way that people refer to these real health problems? Um, how, how, how much does that impact people as they try to recover from these types of, of issues? I think that um, substance use disorders are high, uh, more highly stigmatized than other health conditions because um, generally the public's misinformed about um, addiction and it being a moral failing rather than an actual um, um, health issue. Um, as somebody with lived experience who has um, experienced that um, stigma, I can tell you right now that guilt and shame essentially keeps people in a place where they won't reach out um, to get the supports that they need to go into recovery. Um, a lot of people that have substance use challenges have also experienced trauma and violence. Um, for example, I was um, in an abusive relationship and that's sort of um, how uh, my addiction spiraled out of control 
And um, if there's guilt and shame and um, that sort of language um, thrown at a person, they definitely don't want to admit that they need the help. Um, so stigmatizing language can have serious negative impa- impacts on, um, you know, people that are looking to get into recovery. Can you maybe provide... A major barrier preventing people from getting well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as someone with lived experience, like you just touched on there, I mean, can you maybe give me some examples of, of the things that you would hear that would really maybe set you back as you try to move forward on that road to recovery? Um, people, it, it's sort of horrible because I, I find it, and, and I catch people doing it every day, and I work for two different organizations um, that um, provide harm reduction and support people into going into recovery. And I, I hear people often say things um, about, you know, somebody being like a meth head or a junkie or a crackhead, and it dehumanizes people. And what it does it is it excludes them from society, and um, it allows people in society to ignore um, the fact that, you know, they are worthy of um, getting the help that they need. Yeah, and I would assume, like, obviously from, from a person with the addiction issue yourself, you would probably have, you know, some negative connotations about your own personal well-being or your own, um, you know, just uh, worth as a human being. But how important is it for the other side, though, just to, like you talked about, it can just really dehumanize people and really um, prevent us from maybe taking those issues seriously. I guess what, what kinds of changes should we be saying? What kinds of things should we be saying in place of, of things like calling someone a crackhead? And obviously that's the reason why they are, uh, you know, not as uh, well off as someone else is because they're dealing with that kind of problem. How should we be referring to these people? I think um, basically, you know, when people... can stop discriminating and understand that it can happen to absolutely anybody. I was a lawyer and I found myself in active addiction and um, my life spiraled absolutely out of control and part of that was because of the stigma that was attached to that. Um, Even seeking medical attention or um, speaking to somebody um, in respect to getting housing or you know um, trying to get into recovery it's really horrible when people reduce it to that Um, basically what it is is a substance misuse disorder that's what it is it's a medical condition Um, a person that uses opioids um, rather than an addict Um, you know someone experiencing problems with substance use rather than a drug abuser or a junkie Um, what that does it promotes recovery and when you're seeking medical attention or you're, you're seeking um, support or you're seeking housing, then, you know, you're experiencing barriers, barriers to accessing services rather than, you know, um, looking at it that other way. It seems like such a, a small thing, right? It sounds almost like such a simple change just to refer to people in a different way and use some different language when, when talking about the problems that people are facing. How much of a difference do you think that could make for individuals who do want to seek that help? If they just felt a little bit more humanized, do you think we would see a big increase in the amount of people who can actually recover from these problems? Most definitely. I think that if we normalize um you know, that sort of thing um, and give people the respect that they deserve um, and include them in the community and, um, you know, give them that support, then people are going to come forward and seek help. 
Now, that is actually probably a good time to start moving into this campaign itself. What exactly okay. is Addiction Matters Kamloops wanting to do here today with this pledge? What are we encouraging people to do here today? We have launched a uh, pledge campaign today, and what we're doing is we're inviting people in the community uh, to think about the language that they use um, when they talk about people who use drugs. Um, there is uh, all the information that you need is on the website, which is addictionmatters.ca. And um, for example, I'm taking the pledge today, and I took the pledge. Uh, Every word matters pledge because everyone who uses substances deserves a chance to recover. Um, I'm going to encourage you to take the pledge as well. And um, I hope that everybody gets involved. And um, I think that, you know, it will make a huge difference in respect to how things are viewed in society, but also in respect to the overdose crisis as well. Well, I will take the pledge here today myself as well. And again, I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, you bring forward here and, and it's not something I would normally think about whenever I've, I, I've used this language before in the past myself for yeah. sure. And, and I don't think about it, right? And, and so it's important to take these steps, I think, just to, to sit back and, and really reflect on the impact that you might be having by saying something so small, but how significant uh, the impact can truly be with just a few words. So I think that's important. And I really appreciate you taking the time to raise some awareness here, Nicole. Yeah, thank you. That was Nicole Obrigovich there with Addiction Matters Kamloops, encouraging everyone to take the pledge to stop using some of this language, some of this stigmatizing language that people have out there. Uh, it's a simple thing it, to, uh, you know, go on and take the pledge, go on to addictionmatters.ca, I was mentioned, and it takes a couple of seconds to fill out the form and uh, just pledge that you will be looking or trying to change the way that you refer to individuals. I think it is important to humanize them. Of course, you know, it's really easy to sit back and, and, and brush people aside who are going through and struggling with the issue of addiction and it's really really not uh, not something that anyone necessarily thinks about and trying to put yourself into their shoes right it's it's they have a problem they could have easily said no to drugs and it's you know they should be able to recover from it but it is not that simple and helping people by even just showing a little compassion with the way you refer to them I think can help people and encourage people to go out and seek help and just to reiterate just how significant a problem we are seeing especially when it comes to the overdose crisis of course just in May of this year there were a 170 reported overdose deaths in the single month in British Columbia. 170 in the month of May here in BC. So definitely a problem. I think we have, uh, th that's almost as many COVID-19 related deaths as we've seen throughout the entire pandemic here in British Columbia. So definitely, definitely a problem. I think it's well reported how serious it is. And, and like I said, it's another public health emergency that we're going through here in BC. A lot of attention has been drawn to it, but it doesn't mean we can't do better. And changing our language and encouraging those who are experiencing these issues to go out and seek help and know that they're worth it and that we want to see them get better. It is important. So go on, take the pledge, addictionmatters.ca. Takes a few seconds. And then, of course, you can read some of the material to see just how you can go about changing your day-to-day -day, uh, vocabulary uh, and making a difference in that regard. All right, well, it's time for me to take a quick break here. But when I come back, I'm going to be chatting with my usual Monday guest, Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. So stick around, and more Jeff Andrea show will be coming up after this. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being with me here on July the 6th. It is Monday, and that means it's time for me to be joined by my usual Monday guest. It's Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you doing here today? 
I'm not bad, thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks as always for coming back on. So I wanted to start today by by talking really about this horrible incident in in Seattle. So uh, I'll just give a little background for those who don't know. Early Saturday morning, some police brutality protesters were on the I-5 standing behind some parked cars set up for protection as they were obviously protesting on a highway. Now, a really horrific video shows a car speeding towards these protesters, hits two of them, sending them flying down the freeway. And as of yesterday, one of those two protesters has died. That's a 24-year-old woman and a 32-year-old man also struck, remains in hospital, really fighting for his life. Um, Now, this guy was charged with vehicular assault, and I imagine, uh, safe to say, that we would assume those charges will be upgraded now that we've seen someone, uh, you know, obviously die as a result of their injuries. Oh, yes. In the U.S., you can attract a charge like vehicular manslaughter um, or even a, a homicide charge, um, which would carry very significant penalties down there. Yeah, and I would expect we'll see at least, you know, a manslaughter charge at the very minimum here. But, um, you know, what, how high can this really go? I mean, this uh, it's hard to say how, where this guy's mindset was uh, when this incident occurred. I imagine that he just saw there was a protest going on and had uh, a real poor moment of judgment and decided that he was going to take matters into his own hands because he's offended by what's happening. Um, You know, can this go to a second degree? Like, how high could this potentially go if we are talking about upgrading to a murder charge? Well, if the murder was planned and deliberate in the sense that he got in his car and he went out and he deliberately drove at that speed, um, you know, knowing full well that it could kill somebody and that was his intention, then he could end up with a first degree murder charge. I think that there would be some difficulty without some type of statement or admission by him um, getting to first degree uh, murder just because the difficulty of proving that he intended to kill them within the manner of driving. But when you watch the video and you see the speed that he was going at, I mean, you watch it and you think, how could anybody survive being run over like that? Yeah, and and especially that they were hit really directly right head on, right? I mean, uh, I I assume the person who did pass was the one who was hit right in the middle of the vehicle. There was another individual who uh, seemed to get hit more more clipped, I guess, compared to the the other individual. So I assume that that's kind of how those injuries played out is the one who was hit more more directly is the one that passed away, unfortunately. Um, I I did want to ask, too, while I have you, just about, um, you know, just protesting on a highway uh, Washington State Police Patrol have come out and said that it will not be allowing protesters to enter I-5 and will not be uh, and will be arresting any pedestrians who are on the freeway um, were you just surprised at all to see that there was a demonstration happening on a highway given the you know clear uh, health risk that comes with being on uh, somewhere where you can drive as fast as you can on a freeway I mean, yes and no. Uh, I think that definitely there's a safety concern if you're protesting on a highway and you haven't blocked off the entire highway to ensure that vehicles know that they're not going to, you know, be proceeding down the highway. And from the video, it appears that several lanes of travel were still open um, or not fully blocked off where the protesters were. Um, And so they were in a safety pocket behind some vehicles, but there, you know, there was obviously an ability for cars to get through and that, and that raises concerns uh, for the safety of those individuals. If people are wanting to protest on a highway, what they should be doing is contacting, you know, their local authorities and and setting up um, an arrangement to allow them to shut down the highway. This happens a lot in the lower mainland where people notify police that they're going to be doing it and police support is provided to allow the protest to happen in a safe way um, as opposed to you know having the protest take place in a way that 
exposes people to these risks, either of deliberate harm or of accidental harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean, clearly, in, if, if anyone has seen the video, the guy uh, driving this white Jaguar down the highway, uh, he had to swerve around a few vehicles to actually get into a position to hit these protesters. So clearly, there was some thought planned, whether it was you know planned how far ahead of time, who knows, but uh, definitely had to maneuver around in order to, to uh, go and, and do exactly what he did. Um, all right, moving on here, I did want to ask a little bit too. So on Canada Day here, um, a driver of a McLaren, he rolled his vehicle on the Coquihalla near Merritt. The driver was a, 40, a man in his 40s from Kelowna. He said he lost control and hit the back of a semi-truck before rolling several times, crashing into the median. Um, now this man's reportedly a race car driver, said that this crash occurred due to hydroplaning from intense rain and that speed was not a factor. I mean, uh, when we're talking about a supercar in this case, you mean you almost always would assume that speed has to be a part of it. But he says speed was not a factor. This guy has a lot of experience driving some of these supercars, um, and hydroplaning was the cause, according to him. How easy is it uh, to to prove that hydroplaning was a factor in a collision? Is that something in your experience as a lawyer that you've you know had to defend and had to really prove that that was what happened? Well, if you're charged with an offense, either if you're issued a ticket or you're charged with dangerous driving as a result of something, it's a lot easier than dealing with it in the civil context and dealing with it with your insurer. So if you're you know, struggling to get ICBC to pay the claim for the very expensive car um, and struggling to get them to compensate you for your injuries, um, it's very difficult to prove this because unless the police come and do a proper investigation of the collision, look for evidence of braking, uh, tire marks on the road, um, you know, factors that would point to a vehicle's speed at the time of impact and whether the vehicle took any evasive maneuvers, you're not going to have the evidence necessary to prove that because you're not going to gather it yourself at the time you've just been in a serious collision. And as vehicles go by, once the highway's reopened, then all of those markings are going to be overridden by the markings from other vehicles. Now, so in this become very difficult. Yeah, so I was going to just say, in, in this particular case, I don't believe any charges have been laid. Um, so with that being the case, I guess when you go to an insurance company, do they just sort of, you know, take the word for it that hydroplating was the reason behind that accident? Or, you know, with, without the fact that there weren't any charges laid, does that just uh, make it a little bit easier to make that claim? It will make it easier to make that claim because it, it appears that at least at this point, the police have accepted that hydroplaning was a possible or likely cause of the collision um, and that the collision wasn't the individual's fault through any type of, of poor driving. Um, so that will make it easier, but it will also make it difficult if the insurance company pushes back and says, we have a witness report that you were driving really fast or the other driver says that you were doing something wrong um, and tries to lay the blame on the driver in that circumstance. Um, the absence of a police investigation into the driving will complicate so if if this does happen to somebody if they're listening we've had a, a lot of really uh, rainy weather here over the last uh, couple of months it's been unfortunate i want some sun but we've been getting lots of rain so this is something that could potentially happen to other people here uh, as we continue to experience this wet weather um i guess what would be your advice to someone who maybe is looking to make that claim if if they are involved in a collision hydroplaning was a factor in the collision what steps should they take right afterwards to make sure they can prove that that was a thing that happened if you're able to, get out your phone, start taking pictures of the roadway where you lost control as much as possible, any oil slicks on the top of water resting on the roadway, anything like that that would support your version of events. Because if you leave it until later, then the insurance company is going to say, this isn't the conditions that you were driving in, this is the conditions later on. So as soon as possible, take as many photos as you can to preserve the evidence of the scene. 
That's probably a good advice, I guess, for any collision, right? When, when anything happens, get out and, and try to document as much as you can so you can prove your point if and when you need to, right? Yes, absolutely. Even take a video recording of your interactions and statements given to any other drivers or police that are attend because those things can often come back against you when dealing with the insurance company. Perfect. Good advice for anybody. Hopefully no one's involved in any collisions, but I already heard a few happen on the scanner here today. So, uh, yeah, if anyone is involved in listening, make sure you document what happens so you can prove, if necessary, what occurred. Now, I did want to ask you about one more thing, Kyla, before I let you go. Now, uh, as we get into summer here, RCMP saying they're starting to step up enforcement as part of their annual counterattack impaired driving campaign. So basically doing more road checks and checking for impaired drivers. I just wanted to ask about this theory that... Uh, this really helps get drunk drivers or, or, or uh, impaired drivers, I guess, if you will, off the road. Is this something that do you find as a lawyer? Is it effective? Are these campaigns, because they cost quite a bit of money to run, are they effective in actually helping to reduce the amount of impaired driving we see? The roadblocks themselves are not as effective as the attention surrounding the police ramping up the campaigns. So really the thing that deters most people is the idea that they're going to be caught. So hearing about there being more roadblocks, uh, hearing that police are out in force, enforcing the impaired driving laws, is going to make people make decisions before they go out and start drinking about arranging a safe ride home. Um, having a roadblock out there might catch people who are already drinking and driving, but unless people know that it's there, it's not going to change their behavior before they get behind the wheel. So it's really more about the actual campaign itself as opposed to the actual actions of the campaign, right? So it's about the promotion that they're going to be out there on the road more, even if they weren't out on the road more, just saying that would be enough to deter more people from, from getting behind the wheel if they are intoxicated. Yes, and some U.S. states actually publish in advance the location of where roadblocks are going to be because they believe that this is a bigger deterrent for people for drinking and driving, and they think that by publishing that, they'll discourage more people from getting behind the wheel and driving if they're in those areas. Well, what is your thoughts on that? I mean, that sounds to me like it would probably help people who maybe are going out for a night of partying to be able to avoid these checks if they are planning to drive home afterwards. I think most people, by the time that they make the decision to go out, when they're thinking with their sober thought, are not planning to drink and drive and avoid a roadblock. Most people are going to exercise common sense and good judgment, and the people who aren't going to do that before they go out, when they know there are going to be roadblocks, are going to get behind the wheel no matter what the police are doing. Okay, fair enough. I guess maybe it's just for those who are uh, planning to head in those directions and so they can watch their speed a little bit more, things like that, uh, would probably help some drivers who are maybe heavy-footed and things like that to pay a little bit more extra attention if they're in those areas if they are promoting where they are going to be. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't hate it, but uh, that being said, hopefully I don't actually need to use that information because I'm driving the way I'm supposed to. Awesome, <laughs> awesome stuff, Kyla, as always. Really appreciate you taking the time. So thanks so much for doing this, as always, on Monday, and we'll look forward to doing it again next week. Great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. There's Acumen Laws. Kyla Lee, lots of good stuff there here today. So thanks so much, Kyla. Appreciate you taking the time as always. And uh, yeah, like I said there, of course, RCMP stepping up enforcement this month as part of their annual counterattack impaired driving campaign. Um, and as Kyla was saying, I guess it's the idea of a campaign more than anything that actually helps to keep people or prevent people from drinking and driving or taking drugs and driving any form of impairment and getting behind the wheel. So keep that in mind. Um, you should keep it in mind at all times, but I guess even particularly now as enforcement does start to go up. All right, well, it's time for me to take one last break. So uh, we're going to take a, a small pause here. And when I come back, well, more Jeff Andrea show after this. So please stick around. Your opinion. 
Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back in to the Jeff Andrea Show. Thanks for being with me here on this Monday, July the 6th. I wanted to talk about an issue that's been ongoing here for months, really since this whole COVID-19 pandemic began. And it's the issue of foreign license plates really here in the province uh, of British Columbia. It's something that we're seeing. It's not, uh, it's not uh, you know, partial to BC. It's something that's an issue that in, in other provinces and I'm sure in other countries as well is when people see the license plate of someone from out of province or out of country and they become upset that this person, he's here in our province, in BC, in our territory, whatever the term you want to use, upset that this person has made their way here despite the fact that we are asked not to travel if we don't have to. Now, of course, travel restrictions are starting to ease a bit, right? We're starting to see more and more people uh, just on the highways. I know I was on the highway here earlier in the weekend uh, just as I was going up to and from Kelowna and uh, lots more cars that I'm seeing. Every, Every week I'm on the road a little bit more. I see other cars are out there as well. So we're seeing more travel and with that means more people coming from other places. Now the reason this is coming up to me today is we actually had someone call into our studio uh, here this morning. An 80-year-old woman um, who recently lost her husband says she's readying her home for sale that so she can move closer to Kamloops, but all of her children live in the United States. So one of her sons came up here in March and has been here since then to help. Well, recently, when he goes to the gas station or goes to get groceries, he's constantly being harassed and intimidated by locals because he has those foreign license plates. Now, this is something that has been talked about uh, quite a bit and when, we, when we listen to our COVID-19 updates from uh, our provincial health officials, Dr. Bonnie Henry and uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix. Dr. Bonnie Henry has talked about this quite a bit, basically saying that you don't no other people's situations just because they have a license plate that is different than the one that we would have here in bc doesn't mean that they're not from here first of all i mean people can have a car in alberta and insured and licensed in alberta and still live in british columbia that's a thing that can happen um so i mean we don't know what people's situations are so we should not be getting mad or angry uh just at these individuals for having a foreign license plate. And in this particular case, you know, someone who is up here trying to help his mom through a really difficult situation is now having to deal with another issue on top of that. And it's probably something that is really hard to deal with. So it's unfortunate and it's kind of unfair that they have to go through that. Now, Bonnie Henry was also discussing this issue as it relates to people uh, just coming up here with, you know, in one case, there was a, an issue I saw here on Twitter where someone saw a Texas license plate up here in British Columbia. Well, Dr. Henry said that she has actually spoken to border services and the majority of vehicles coming into Canada with those U.S. plates, well, they're Canadians who are returning to Canada. So, I mean, maybe they live in the States, maybe they live there part-time, who knows exactly what their situation is, but of course they don't want to be in America where they're seeing these widespread spikes of COVID-19. They want to come home, and I think that's totally understandable. So people need to really just pay attention, maybe think twice before getting angry. I actually have a friend who lives in Winnipeg, and her sister runs a dance studio in Toronto. Well, of course, when COVID-19 hit, no one's coming to take up dance. No one's being taught dance lessons at the studio. So they moved back home to Winnipeg, uh, and as she took her car which had Ontario license plates to the mall in Winnipeg Manitoba of course she goes in she goes shopping comes out 
windshield is completely smashed. Looked like someone took a golf club to it, all because they have Ontario plates. And that could happen here in BC as well. I know we've seen instances where nasty letters are being left on windshields telling people to go back home, go back where you came from, whatever that messaging might be. There's a lot of expletives generally involved in these messages. It's unfair for a lot of people to have to deal with this stuff. So just think twice and put yourself in someone else's shoes for a second. You know, just because they look like maybe they don't belong doesn't mean that they don't. And it's unfair to make that assumption. So I just wanted to put that message out there because we did get a pretty distraught call here today. And I thought it was worth bringing a little bit of attention to here on this Monday. And I'll bring up one other thing here. I got a couple of minutes before I have to sign off. So there was an interesting story that I read uh, it's a Craigslist ad about a guy selling a bicycle and uh, some accessories as well. And he had a racial prerequisite as he was trying to make this sale. The ad says, quote, enough black lives murder. I will only sell this to a visibly lily white person as I am plain and simple. End quote. So, I mean, pretty obvious racism and pretty offensive stuff out there that, you know, this person is clearly just upset by seeing the fact that there is a movement and other people want equal rights and somehow that's a bad thing. And now this guy is just so upset that he's unwilling to sell his bike to any type of visible minority. I think that's something that, uh, you know, man, to put it out there on an ad like that and make that a prerequisite for how you're going to sell something on Craigslist, I think that's a... In- I don't know what the term brave, I guess, to put it out there. This ad came down pretty quick once it was, of course, flagged and uh, realized that this was a racist situation and and this person probably shouldn't be allowed to sell anything on here if he's going to have these sorts of uh, racial connotations being there in place of uh, of anything, right? That's the most important thing. It doesn't matter if you have the money. I need to make sure that you're a white person before I'm going to sell it to you. That's, uh, it's horrible to see and I think we're going to see more and more of it too as, uh, you know, people become more and more distraught and more and more upset with these movements that are happening happening. So it's something to be aware of. And I think if anyone's on any of these online sites, if you see something like that, make sure you say something so we can flag them, get them down and make sure people are being treated fairly. That's what this whole thing is all about. All right. Well, it's about time for me to wrap things up here. So I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while, just know we enjoyed our time while it lasted. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. I'll be back here tomorrow starting at noon.